Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Thank you, Jono. How awesome was that? Let's give Jono a hand. Young adults. Well, it's nice to see your faces. Why don't you turn the person next to you and say, you look better than the person that I didn't turn to. Interesting. (laughs) So people are paralysed, unable to turn, unable to turn. Well, good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church on this beautiful September. September, summer, spring spring day. Um, Great to be with you. Hopefully you love the person you're sitting next to you. Go on, look at them again, have a moment. No talking, just looking. It is good to be in church together this morning. We could be anywhere. We could be at the beach. We could be at the skateway in Bomaderry. But you're here. My prayer this morning is that God would speak to you. My name's Joel. I'm one of our pastors here. Um, You've come on a good day. We are going to be looking at the driest passage in the New Testament this morning. (laughs) Now, what, what passage comes to mind in your head? Interesting. Tom said Romans. Offensive. Um... Let me, uh, if you've got your Bible, turn with me uh, to Matthew 1, the 40th book in the Bible. And you got it, you're allowed to say, got it. It is a race to see who can get it first. If you're new to church, it's on page 679. says this, uh, the genealogy of Jesus, a record of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah, everyone say Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez, the father of Hezron, Hezron, the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab, Aminadab, the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, or Salmon, if you're nasty. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, also known as Bathsheba. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam, the father of Abijah king. Abijah, the father of Asa, Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Everyone say Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father 
of Uzziah, Uzziah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of exile to the Babylon. Don't worry, we're two-thirds of the way there. After the exile of uh, after the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Could everyone say Sheltiel? Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abiud. Abiud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azor. Everyone say Azor. Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Eliud, Eliud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Nathan, which kind of sounds like Nathan, but said wrong, Nathan, the father of Jacob, Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ." Proverbs it, uh, says this, it's going to appear on the screen. Proverbs 25 says, 3, 2, 1. Verse 2, it says, It is the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is the glory of kings. Let me pray for us this morning and then Kez can rest her piano fingers. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you're here. I ask this morning that your word would do what your word only can do, which is come alive and transform us. I ask this morning, Holy Spirit, there would be a fresh hunger in our church to go deeper than we once were. I pray we never be satisfied with a level of what we know about you. I pray that it would only whet our appetite to seek you more and to know you more. I pray this morning that these verses would come alive on the inside of us and you would fan into flame the desire to seek you like we haven't before. Not even in a previous season where we were pretty passionate, but I pray that we would continue to be a church that increases in hunger until your return. A church that increases in desperation and thirst for the King, the things of heaven, not for the things of this earth. I pray there would be an unquenchable desire inside your bride that only you can fill. And a desire not to be lukewarm in any way, but a desire to be on fire for you in the earth. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, Kez. You may be seated. Clive Waring. He's on the screen. Look at that beautiful face. Born in 1938 in the UK, he was a keyboardist like Kez. Kez is our Clive Waring. He's also a conductor. He uh, worked on BBC Radio. He was, he was DJing the moment that our now King Charles married Princess Diana. Conspiracy theory inserted here. Um, he was... His, the things that he conducted were televised around the world in the late 80s. But in 1985, um, he, from a virus, had his um, immune system attacked. Um, and this virus actually caused him to have the most severe case of amnesia that has ever been recorded. What happened to him is he not only had an inability to remember recent events... Um, 
before this day, but he had no longer had the ability to form new memories. And if you've ever, there's a documentary, there's a whole bunch of documentaries on him. He is still alive. Um, he's lived with this condition for now 44 years. Um, he has, this documentary is called, I think it's called The Seven Second Man, where his memory lasts between seven and 30 seconds. And this documentary, all these moments occur where he comes to realization and he says things all the time in this documentary like, you're the first person that I've ever seen since I've been sick. Like in this reporter, this reporter's had these interviews for weeks and months and months and he constantly stops and says, you are the first three people that I have ever met. And it's kind of sad, but it's also kind of interesting that he lives in this constant state of epiphany. This is an excerpt from his diary because he was encouraged to Right. So at 8.31am, he writes, Now I am really completely awake. Moments later, half an hour, he writes again, crossing out what he previously wrote, Now I am perfectly, unwillingly, uh, sorry, ever willingly awake. And then just 30 minutes later again, he crosses it out, almost like I don't know who's writing these things. Now I am actually awake. He is in this constant state where they actually, there's, there's phrases that have been like a 30-second clive is this phrase when it comes to amnesia um, recovery because his memory simply doesn't last longer than 30 seconds. He's married, his wife left for seven years and then came back, he didn't know. Um, oh, who's laughing at that, you psychos? Um, but his family is, like, he hadn't seen his children for a while in this documentary and they come and they meet him and then they leave and, like, 10 seconds later, he's like, I would really like to spend some time with my kids. When are they coming for a visit? Like, it just doesn't stick in his head. He's in this constant state of epiphany. In Scripture, in Matthew 2, the chapter after the verses that we just read, we have this great epiphany where the Gentiles see Jesus for the first time and they bear witness to him being the son of David, the son of God, and have this awakening. I wonder when was your last epiphany? Not just a great idea, not just a good thought, but a, a moment that you saw Jesus and you were changed forever. A moment that you gazed upon him and a revelation dropped from heaven that changed everything, that everything was new. You can't simply judge a book by its cover. You have to be willing to go a little bit deeper. You have to be willing to push beyond just the normal. And it's our personal responsibility as Jesus followers to go deeper. It's not the responsibility of a connect leader. It's not the responsibility of religious leaders. Your depth in God is your personal responsibility. What you're willing to be satisfied with, how deep you're willing to go in worship, in His Word, isn't based off the denomination you're a part of. It is based off the God that you willingly pursue. When was the last time you had a life-changing revelation from the Word of God? It's our responsibility to have these things. This morning, I want to share a simple word entitled, Deep Down Under the Surface. The verses like this in Matthew 1, verse 1 to 17, or any verse from the 30 plus thousand verses in the Bible, is an opportunity to look at face value or an opportunity to go deeper. To see something in the Word of God that isn't taught to us from a platform, but is taught to us from the Holy Spirit. And I wonder 
If you examine your knowledge of the Word of God, are you Bible illiterate? (laughs) Do you sit with the Word of God? Do you allow it to come alive on the inside of you? Do you read it? Do you consume it? Do you just, do you spend time with God? Is He the first person you consider when you wake up and the last person that you think of before you go to sleep? Or is your depth quite shallow? Is the deepest thing that ever happened to you your salvation moment? Or was it the beginning of an amazing journey to seek and know God on a deeper level? The reason why depth matters is very simple. The why is going to appear on our screen right now, that to be a fool is a foolish goal. To be an infant as an adult is a weird goal. There also is an amazing document. No, we're not going to talk about adult babies. Um, check them out. But there's 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, and 4 kind of outline this thing that God uses foolish things to uh, shut the mouths of the wise. If, if you use that as a basis to be dumb, to be a fool, um, you might be misunderstanding 1 Corinthians 4. God takes you from where you are and he will always inject wisdom from heaven that this world sees as foolish but is in fact incredibly wise. You're allowed to be a fool if you view Jesus as a fool. Like that's 1 Corinthians 1 to 4. So if as the church we could be willing to pursue God deeper than a Sunday service, deeper than a yearly theme, deeper than what was taught to us or encouraged to us or projected on Vision Sunday, if we're willing to actually have a relationship with Jesus, I wonder what he would do through your life That the credit isn't discipleship, the credit isn't the organization of the local church, it isn't the consistency of you serving on a roster or it being your traditional religious habit to come to the local church, but the fruit would speak of the fact that you have been with the one that knows it all, transforms it all, holds it all, projects it all, draws it all to himself, that you've spent time simply with King Jesus. I want to give you um, three simple hows this morning that we're going to look at Matthew 1 to give you some help in pursuing God deeper than what is at simply the the surface of the Bible. Does that sound okay? The hows are going to appear on the screen. They're very simple. Look, question, and move. That was a terrifying sneeze. Maybe you want to put a mask on. Um, (laughs) Look question, move. Um, Matthew 1 is, you might disagree with me, you might think that that is just the easiest, get out of here, um, is the easiest passage in the, in the New Testament, it just is just filled with such life, maybe you're just all about Azor, you just live for Azor, you're like Azor's awesome, Azor, 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 Azor's only mention in the whole Bible is right there, so you're just like, oh, the life of Azor is amazing, like you're just loving it. Um, but if we take a moment to look at the Scripture and ask questions of the Scripture. If you ever find yourself reading a verse to back up something you want to do, but you're afraid to read the first, the verse before and after because it is going to ruin what God is saying, um, it's called proof texting. It's I have a belief system and I'm going to grab a verse, a memory verse that I can say enough times to prove it to be true. But if we want to look at Scripture, we have to look at it. I'd be like, why is this here? And when I look at Matthew 1, I've got a few questions, if I'm really honest. Like, why these people? Like, 
Azor. Like, why are these people, why is this here? Why does Matthew start? And we ask the question, what is Matthew trying to do? Matthew is a Jew writing to Jews. He's trying to establish who Jesus is and that he is the son of David, because that's really important to the Jewish community. That his lineage, that his genealogy would trace back to someone that we are waiting for prophecies to fulfill about. The son of David coming to the earth. But then I've got like, why these numbers? Like, why 17 before King David? Uh, sorry, why 14 before King David? Why 14 before exile? Why 14 after exile? Verse 17 says, thus there being 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to exile, and 14 from the exile to Christ. So then we've got to ask the question, why 14? Why is Matthew hooked on 14? Is the dude just like a weirdo and he just loves 14? He's writing 14 on his hand or something like a crazy person. Um, it's four. Well, 14 inside of uh, the Hebrew culture, inside of the Hebrew alphabet is significant if we look at what David's letters actually mean. Well, 14 is also significant because 14 is double. Look at you go. Seven's important in Scripture. It means completion. It means witnesses. So seven times seven is two witnesses. It is a reference to the Torah. It is a reference to these people are bearing witness to Jesus being the son of David. But 14 is not just enough because in Hebrew alphabets, we have David's name, D-V-D in the Hebrew. And the numbers in the alphabet in Hebrew is 6466. Oh, sorry, is 446. 464, D is 4, V is 6, D is 4, 4 plus 6 plus 4 is, look at us go, we're just nailing it with mass, 14 again and again, if you're a Jew reading this from Matthew, you're hearing David, 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 King David, King David, King David, this guy coming is not just out of the box, he's not against what God has been doing, he is the son of David, he is here to do things, but there's more questions, why these women? Like, if you're going to choose Old Testament women, you're probably not going to choose the one that's called Rahab the prostitute. Right? Like, you're going to choose Esther, maybe? Like, that's cool. Maybe Eve. Maybe you're not a big Eve fan. Like, you read it from, like, a real male perspective. Um, but the people listed here at Tamar. Tamar, um, I don't know if you know, slept with her father-in-law. Like, that's weird. Like, that's not the epitome example. Rahab the prostitute was infamous for being a prostitute. Ruth was a Moabite, and a Moabite, it says in Deuteronomy 23, was unable to enter the assembly of God for 10 generations. But the gap even between Ruth and David is less than 10 generations. So it's like this scandalous thing that a Moabite would be in the genealogy, not of just Jesus, but of David himself. And then we had Bathsheba, that's not even mentioned, but Bathsheba was, a, was someone else's wife. And David, what David did, and, it, and it's painting this picture of even the genealogy of Jesus being quite scandalous. And then it comes to Mary, who is pregnant out of wedlock. The verses that go on explain how that is valid and perfectly, and it makes, and it, we've got theology around it. But there's this scandal throughout these women. What is, that, what is that saying to us? What is the value that Matthew is placing on all women, not just some women? 
Why is this here? Why is this important? And you need to dig deep in scriptures to find truth. Why is there even a genealogy? Let me tell you why there's a genealogy in Matthew 1. Why there's one in Luke 3 as well. We're trying to understand a really important thing in the New Testament still. That we play a small part in a very big picture. You play a small part in a generation that plays a small part in the big picture of God. And if you take a moment to look at these verses, look at who they are, look at why they're important, look at who these characters are, you will hopefully get perspective on the struggles that you have in the bigness of what God wants to do through your generation. Not only your life, not only your family, but you would understand that one person being faithful to the next, faithful, 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 14 times plus 14 more times plus 14 more times. I wonder if we would value simple faithfulness that we would perhaps usher in something significant. Because let me tell you, Azor, everyone say Azor, did nothing memorable. Nothing big, nothing significant, nothing astonishing, but Matthew lists a whole bunch of guys and five females to honor faithfulness. Azor did one thing. He passed on his inheritance to the next generation. That's all he did. Pass it on from one thing to another. I wonder if we would take a look and we'd ask some questions, if we'd have some things to move on this morning. These are the things I think we can move on out of this scripture. Get perspective for the things in front of you. Don't just see it from a day point of view or a week point of view or a yearly theme point of view. Think of it as a generational point of view. What is the thing that I'm going to pass on to the next generation? I'm willing not to be the main character of this story or the main character of the whole story, but I just want to usher in King Jesus. Could you look at all? Could we look at all our giants, our battles, our highs and lows, our drama in the perspective of generations? Matthew 1 is trying to show you something, church. Matthew 1 is trying to tell you that if you would just play your small part, you could be a part of something great. What would happen if Azor didn't play his part? The genealogy would have stopped. (laughs) Matthew would have nothing to feed on. There is so much truth in Matthew 1. I have, I don't know, 50 thoughts from Matthew 1 of who these people are, what their names mean, what times they lived through, what it represented. But the question is, not can I go deeper? (laughs) The question is, can you? Can you grab a passage like this passage this week, sit with the Holy Spirit, read, study, ask questions, Go deep in the Word of God and not just be like, oh, I'm a Pentecostal, so I love Acts 2. Or give me the latest worship album, 
but you would go so deep in the Word of God that you would gain generational perspective that would change how you act, how you speak, how you live, that you would have epiphany upon epiphany, revelation upon revelation of what God has already said, but we just haven't listened to. I wonder if we could move. I wonder if we could do something with the verses that we find, the chapters that we find, the books that we find. For 30 seconds on the screen is going to appear my show your work slide. <laughs> if you want to go deeper, feel free to go deeper. 30 seconds is now up. <laughs> I want to give you a warning this morning, and then I want us to worship um, out of this song we started this morning, this, this generational worship song that we would remember the God of Jacob and of Moses. We would remember the God of David, the ones that have gone before us. He's the same God that we serve now. He's the same God that wants to do miracles. He wants to move. He wants to free people. He wants to move us forward. He's not a distant abstract, waiting in the cloud, got some harps, God. He's the God that wants to walk with you and cause you to overcome now. And if we could remember, no matter what battles we face, that we are a part of a story that is grand and massive, but we must be willing to allow ourselves to fall into the background, a name in the list all pointing to Jesus. There's a warning that's going to appear on the screen. It's, it's pretty simple. If you... Uh, uh, if you, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, you won't go the distance if you won't go the depth. If we only got one revelation out of Matthew 1 right now, that we play a small part in a big story, think about that for the next, I don't know, 50 years. <laughs> like, go, go, go deep in that. Like, when you're facing things, it feels like, I'm so overwhelmed today. No, I need generational perspective. Oh, this giant in front of me seems hugely, enormously big. Well, what other giants have been overcome throughout history? What other giants are all being slaughtered? What other swords has God's people gained because they took what the enemy planned and turned it for the good? What has happened again and again and again and again through generations? He was faithful yesterday. He'll be faithful today. He'll be faithful tomorrow. That I'll gain perspective that my small part is small, but it is a part of something bigger. Another way to say the warning um, is, is this, that you yeah, you have to go deep to go far. One of the things, um, Pastor Nat, if you could jump up because we're going to worship. Um, one of the things that I've been in a diff few different conversations in the last um, couple of months um, with different pastors across our city and across our state um, is a lot of people um, have thought COVID happened. What is the world post-COVID? <sighs> Boring. We'll never go back to it being normal again. Everything has to change. We have what's going on now. It's, and, and there's a few people that I've been talking to that just speak wisdom into the noise. The, the God, didn't, God hasn't changed in two years. <laughs> he hasn't. He, he, he's a God that was the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when we dig down in Scripture, when we dig down in the truth of who He is, we're able to face small giants, small storms, big giants and big storms, but be unchanging about how good our God is. I wonder this morning, um, as we worship in a moment, if we could gain a fresh perspective. 
if you just for a moment, maybe you've walked in with a few things. Maybe you've walked in and be like, God, I want you to bring my dreams back to life. I want you to answer this thing. I want you to do this thing. Maybe we could just gaze upon him again and realize that worship is probably 90% of the battle. Choosing who we give our honor to, who we give our attention to, who we give our praise to, who we give our worship to. And it may not be as glamorous as we once, of what we want. We want this answer. Maybe it's just Azor. Maybe it's Sheltiel. Maybe it's just, I'm going to be faithful no matter what. And these aren't the heroes of the faith. We're not in Hebrews. These are just people that were just faithful. Just consistently focused on Jesus. Can I ask you to close your eyes for a moment? I just want you to consider, is there a thing, a person, a situation that is standing between you and looking at King Jesus? Is there a fear, a discouragement, a distraction, selfishness, a sin that's standing between you and focusing on the person you're supposed to focus on as a Jesus follower, King Jesus. Is there an addiction? Is there an idol? Is there an unanswered prayer? Is there a need? The story of Job is very profound. The things that life, that the enemy throws at us, but an unwillingness to take our eyes off the one that is worthy of it all. I wonder if you'd have the humility this morning to perhaps have an epiphany, to perhaps have a revelation. That he's done it before and he'll do it again. But that it is the glory of God to conceal the matter. And it's the glory of us. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, royalty, kings, queens. To seek him out to find him in every moment, to not miss him in our darkest corners or our rock bottoms. Just as David saw the Lord invincible in battle that he pens in Psalm 23 and Psalm 27, he saw the Lord invincible in battle while Goliath was screaming and everyone was afraid. The same God that is the God of Moses that took his weakness, used him mightily, and he led over four million people out of slavery. <laughs> he parted seas. It saw miracles throughout the land of Egypt. That same God. <laughs> I don't know if your mountain's bigger than that. Mine's not. Before Nat leads us and before we stand up and sing this, I just want to give you one final thought. 
I was listening to someone uh, speak this week and they said this, this phrase that they heard from their mum growing up. And the phrase was that if, we, if you put your dramas, your problems, your situations in the middle, and everyone did, and you saw perspective of everyone else's stuff, their giants, the things that they were struggling to overcome, you would quickly pick up your problems and leave. That there's a perspective in the fact that you are graced to overcome your giant. You are graced to face that sickness and overcome. You are graced to walk in that family. You are graced to hold the faith for the salvation of your school. You're graced for it. Your problem, your drama is yours for a reason. Carry it in your generation and see what your God will do. One last thing. Over our youth leader girls we prayed for this morning. Let me just speak again, fresh dreams over you, fresh vision over you, that you would see a generation of young women raised up unlike any generation before them, a generation of first-generation Christians that know their word more than they know anything else, that know His presence and His prompting more than anything else. But every harvest requires a seed to be sown. Every next level requires a sacrifice to be paid from someone. And I speak over you seven young leaders to pay the price that is required. Be willing to lay down to fight for another generation. Give it your whole heart. Give it your whole focus and energy. Be heaven on earth. Let him lead you in every word. Let him flow in visions and dreams. Raise up a generation that we have never seen before of women who know who they are, that do mighty exploits, that change the game. Lift your eyes again. I'm just going to ask us to stand together this morning. Holy Spirit, I ask this morning that this revelation, this epiphany, that we are a part of something bigger than ourselves would give us perspective on what is in front of us. I pray this morning that you would dwarf some giants in our world, that you would calm some storms in our world. And I ask right now as we sing these words together that you would lift our gaze to see you, King Jesus, that all eyes would be upon you, and that right now that our knee would bow, that our tongue would confess that you are Lord. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.